Hello, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Direct Input Podcast. Today is Friday, July 7th in the year 2017. I listened to fucking King Diamond this morning. First oh, yeah, day. how was that? Well, it was, you know, it's the seventh day of July. In 1777, <laughs> July. Fucking get We're at the home studio, and my cat's about to jump on the fucking table, which is amassed by fucking pulled pork nachos. This cat's such a savage. He, he, he's more inclined to eat out of the trash than fucking some, some sort of presentation of fucking food, you know? He's ambitious. Yeah, he's a killer. What are you going to do? Look how tall he gets. Get off the fucking table. Crash course tonight. Jerome, you're here tonight. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. Uh, just uh, recovering from a very insanely busy uh, couple weeks. Uh, finished up an essay for uh, Diabolique on Black Sun and Nan King Massacre, which is Tun Fei Mao's uh, follow-up to his highly controversial film, uh, Men Behind the Sun, uh, in, the, in, in the middle of a production for a film and as well as multitasking over two other articles and planning for another one that I'm doing for uh, Diabolique as well. So you're basically a freelance writer along with some you know, film studying and film production here and there? Yeah, just it, it, I refer to it as a film life. Hashtag film life, if you will. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you know, if I'm not writing about it, I'm taking a, I'm taking a course or you know, I'm trying to, trying to put together you know, my next one, which you know, the last, last film I shot was like over a year ago. So I just finished up doing test photography about, about three or four weeks ago. Finally got the footage back from the lab. So, so, so uh, A fucking lab? What do you mean? You going to get tested or some shit? Fucking well, I, well, I film on Super 8, so you actually have to send it into the lab for development. Super 8? Yeah, it's the fuck Super 8. Nobody knows what that is. Of course they don't. What is it? <laughs> it's 8 millimeter film that's a little thicker. Uh, it's actually been making a comeback lately because Kodak's really pushing film on a lot of uh, film schools. They're donating a lot of 16 millimeter cameras to a lot of, uh, to a lot of like, art colleges and whatnot because they want students to shoot on film again. Some of the more recent uh, films that have come out are even shot on a 70 millimeter. Some of the recent Tarantino films, uh, for example. Yeah, I saw um, Hateful Eight. With uh, 70 mil, I saw Interstellar with 70 mil, and I really went out of my way to uh, to pursue it. And I, I did notice it; it looked a lot larger. Mm-hmm, it looked mm-hmm. larger, fucking, I, which sounds weird, but like the scale of it was a little bit more in your face. I thought. Yeah. Is that the deal? I mean, was that a fucking? Euro- Why is it? What's up with the millimeters? Is this European all of a sudden? Like nobody wants to make American film anymore, so we're gonna go to buy Europe. Fucking. I see someone didn't study the metric system in elementary school. Why? I got inches. What the fuck do I need a metric for? <laughs> fucking, they're gonna make things more complicated and such, right? So this is America, Jerome. Come on, fucking. I, I don't know, man. There, there's something. There's something special about still shooting on film. Yeah, for me personally, like uh, my mentor always taught me, you know, how about how about how to shoot on Super 8. And, you know, it really forces you like for me, it forced me to learn more. It forced me to learn about lighting, you know, about how about, you know, about shot composition and such. So there's like a legit at to this whole fucking procedure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nowadays he's got, you know, got a fucking vine about it. <laughs> What's that? A vine. A vine? A vine. It's the future I hear. It's like uh, six seconds of fucking cinematography genius. It's it's like a fucking GIF, you know, like a, a GIF file, you know, like fucking just on loop, fucking, you know. <laughs> That's the future I hear. I know there's, there's people who are actually making uh, movies on smartphones. Uh, Tangerine, are? which came out, I believe, two years ago, was, sh- was shot entirely on, a, on an iPhone. Tangerine. Yeah, it's, really, it's, really good, it's a really good film. It's In my opinion, it's one of the most important LGBT films to come out in the, in the last, uh, I'd say, 10 years. Really? 
Yeah. Um, What's that sweet on the inside sort of analogy? Well, no. Like, or is it sour? <clears throat> I don't get it. Well, you know, I want, I want, when we think of uh, how trans people are portrayed in film and the media, you know, like the most thing that probably the most common thing people think of is that show Transparent. This seems yeah. to be, be the most Jeffrey, popular uh, one. Jeffrey Tamborn. Yeah, I believe so. I haven't um, seen it yet, but I know he, he's an acclaimed actor. You got the award for it, the, the, the uh, Emmy or whatever they call it. Well, I don't pay attention to the awards. This one to me was important because we had two uh, trans actresses who are both African-American who were the leads in a film. And uh, I, th- I think it was really important. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't you know, it's, it's a huge step up from Jared Leto throwing on a wig and acting in uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Well, it's, it's, a hu- it's a huge progression. Well, I think a lot of people there, like, your average dude's probably like, well, you lost some fucking weight. Well, you know, like, they, <laughs> like that's what they think of, like, you know, regarding the performance and the art uh, perspective, really, of, of what he's contributing to that. But you're seeing it. I mean, there's a whole, uh, isn't that movie Moonlight? Like, there's a whole movement now of, like, uh, L- I'm going to screw it up. LB- LGBT? Uh, yeah. Fucking, like, so, like, there's like, a whole movement of fucking, like, films that are, are pretty much striving to make that message. Yeah, that's that's what that's one of the most important things about film is it gives it gives people new voices. It it you're allowed you're allowed to you know express your ideology, express your opinions through the medium. I mean that's that's what's why that's uh, why I admire uh, Pierre Paul Pasolini as much as I do. Why I consider Poor Seal and Salo two of the most important films ever made. Uh, you said Salo. Yeah, Salo. And what's the one? Pri- Poor Seal. What are you saying? Uh, poor seal. Uh, it's Italian for a uh, pig's die. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> really, what, what's in the pig's die all about? Fucking poor seals. Of uh, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I wrote an essay about it a number of months ago. Poor seals, a really complex film because it's two stories going on at once. The first one is about a nomad who's who's like surviving in the wasteland, and he has to resort to cannibalism in order to survive. And it's really interesting because when the f- movie opens up, he's like trying to kill a, a snake with a boulder. And I've always felt like the snake, like with the boulder, you know, it's like the snake in the garden of Eden. It sets up the biblical symbolism in the film. Priscilla opens up with a nomad in the wasteland, and it's basically like him rejecting rejecting society. He takes the form of a heretic. And the other story that that that's being told along with it is is where the, is where the pigsty uh, comes in. Uh, basically, it's about these two rival German industrialists in post-war Germany, and they have a son named Julian who has this beautiful fiance, but he's and there's he's totally oblivious to her. He's oblivious to all like the social changes going on in the '60s with activism. Instead, he wants to frolic with the pigs in his father's sty. And what's interesting is the two rival industrialists passingly uses him to link uh, the post-war b- boom in in Europe with uh, with the Reich. Because one of the one industrialists, you know, he turns out to be a, be a former Nazi and and um, <clears throat> named uh, he goes by the name Herhitza and his old name is Hurt. And when uh, the two industrialists meet, he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, Herhitza. It means the fiery born. What is the fiery born? He goes, he says, well, what burns burns on the fi- fire now? And he's like, oh, the fires of industry. So he's he's kind of like connecting the two dots between you know the machines of industry and the machines that you know were were being used in the Holocaust. Okay. Okay. So fuck. I mean, like, that's a <laughs> pigsty. I mean, like, I, I was thinking it's just gonna be about like then and fucking um, Hannibal at the end of that. Every time I think of pigs now, I, I'm I'm like scared by fucking thinking about fucking 
Well, five. Let's just put it out there with some respect. Hannibal was so horrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like, you know, and it's funny. The book was worse. Really? I yes. Think they made a book called Hannibal. Ster- Sterling runs off with Hannibal. Okay. They run off and become lovers, and it's like, no. Yeah. Like, um, Thomas Harris, I mean, Hannibal Lecter is his bread and butter. Okay. That's how he's going to make money. That's his ma- That's his character. The, the, Thomas Harris, that's, that's the author who's writing yes. this fucking thing. Um, you know, and it, it's, uh, <clears throat> that's his bread and butter. That's how uh, he makes his money. And as the store, as the franchise has progressed, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I mean, Silence of the Lambs was, was obviously like really groundbreaking. You know, Anthony Hopkins' performance is what a lot of people talk about. Um, in my opinion, that and Manhunter are the only <clears throat> two films that are really like worthwhile. Okay. Like in the, in the entire series. I, I, I honestly feel that. Was Manhunter a European film? No, it was done by Michael Mann. Michael Mike, Mann. Ma- Michael Mann, he directed a lot of episodes of Miami Vice. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, but no, he did something else. He's got a very special feel to his stuff. He does. I can't remember what the fuck else he did. I, I can't I can't either now that, now that, that to, for the life of me. Um, but the one thing I remember about uh, Manhunter specifically was Brian Cox's portrayal of Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Um, he's very, uh, he's very, very deadpan. He's not like... Like Hopkins has like kind of brings this like kind of like charisma to the character. Cox is very like his deli- his delivery is very very subtle, but it 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 carries the film. Um, I also felt that uh, I thought Dennis Farina was a more believable Jack Crawford than uh, Harvey Keitel. I love Harvey, but um, Dennis Farina, you know, uh, started out as a cop, went on to shows like Police Story and later Law and Order, uh, and he started out his career actually. Uh, as an advisor to, to several television shows, like saying, you know, this is how cops act. Really? Yeah. Oh, so what, the Hill Street Blues or whatever? Was that like a whole thing back then? Or was he you acting? Know what? I've in... never seen an episode of the Hill Street Blues. All right. So, but Miami Vice was like the big thing. It was like, oh, oh so yeah. really like you're in Miami. You're really there. Fucking yeah, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like. The Reagan 80s, you gotta love the, uh, you gotta love the over, the overbearing 1980s. Yeah. Everything was bigger. We, have you, there's a documentary on CNN. The Clinton News Network. That's what they call it. Fucking yeah. But it's called the '80s. It's fucking spectacular, and it's I I recommend everybody watch it. It's just fun, man. I've seen a couple. I I think I know what you're talking about. It's narrated by Rob Lowe, right? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I don't think so. No, fucking. I think it's it's all like CNN motherfuckers, like like reporters talking and commentating together, striking each other off and stuff. It's probably on Netflix, you know, like. It's worth your time. There's one in the 70s and the 60s. They got the 90s coming out. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Again, I'm stoked. Love the historical shit. Fucking love it. Oh, same here. You find, though, history has been uh, accurately uh, represented with film, like, you know, <coughs> regarding your art form, uh, you know. It's kind of tell, you know, like, the reinvented in a way, fucking what's right or wrong with it. It's... It depends on the subject matter. And uh, if we're going to be talking about a historical... Uh, Accuracy and cinema. There's a couple films I like to bring up, um, which happens to be my favorite film of all time. Is it Raiders of the Last Act? I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <clears throat> 1985. There was a Soviet director named Elm Klimov, and he made the greatest war movie. And he also, uh, at the same time, made the most disturbing film of all time. It's a picture called Come and See. 
Come and see. Yes. You mean like fucking come and see? Or like it, it was taken from the book. It's taken from a passage of, of the book of Revelations when it says, you know, come and see who's behind the door. Really? Yeah. It, the story fo- follows a young boy named Floria, Russian boy who it starts out with him in his home and he joins a group of uh, partisans fighting the uh, Germans in, in Belarus. Okay. And it's his journey from going from, you know, Go, starting from his home, join the partisans, and it culminates in a massacre by uh, members of the Einsatzkommando. These were uh, members of uh, the SS who were basically mobile mobile killing squads in Belarus, a, a massacre for a whole village in the barn. Um, I don't know if you remember that really horrible, god-awful Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot. Ah, oh, that was like Brave Hat America. Remember Again. the scene where uh, Tavington her, her, brings Tavington? all the villagers... <laughs> I, I was, where he brings all the villagers into the barn and eventually sets them on fire? No. Well, I, I mean, the, yeah, I'm sure it happens, yeah. Because all... Jerome, let me just say real quick. Brave Hat is a fucking identical fucking film to fucking... Well, Patriot fucking mimic that so hard. Oh, it's killed the, the one thing, my family is something that's dear to me. Let's have one revenge that's scene. That's fucking horrible. Let's fucking... Let's fucking... Let's rally the... Let's have a montage of the fucking rallying... And then a couple guerrilla attacks, and then a big fucking victory, and then a tragic fucking ending to some bullshit that's uh, there so are old episodes. There were old episodes of the Swamp Fox with Leslie Nielsen as Francis Marion that were more historically inaccurate than that film. I can tell you that much. Yeah, it wasn't even filmed in Massachusetts. Fucking I poses. Mean, I mean, I mean, like Tavington is based off of a real British uh, cavalry officer named uh, Benaster Tarleton, who was you know who was who did kill P- prisoners of war. And was quite ruthless, but he later went to England and, you know, with honor. But I, I, dig- I digress. Um, so this guy fucking, he, he made Clemency, what's his name? Clemency? Clemency. What's that director's name? Elm Klimov. Klimov. He's See, a German fella? No, he's Russian. Okay. I just said it was a Soviet film a few minutes ago. Yeah, so. or, yeah. well, I, you know, I'm a, I got all jacked. I, I got fucking NFL films on over here. This is my speed, you know, fucking like, you know. <laughs> hey, they're good. Steve Sable. No, he's a good documentarian. I'll give him that much. That, that's what I'm saying. And if, well, this is uh, this is a football life. This is his kids' thing, and uh, the football life is more like a a pretty cut and dry fucking forty two forty five minute presentation of uh, you know career highlights. Usually get a retirement speech at the end of it and uh, some tragedy in between. Uh, you know all the things that make a great man. But anyway. <laughs> back to come and see. <laughs> now that we've now that we, we've come back to that point, um, you talked about historical uh, accuracy. Um, I think it depicts a part of the Holocaust that is a lot of times gets swept under the rug. Because um, you know, if you, if, I remember specifically my high school history class. Uh, our lessons con- uh, comprised a few lectures, and they made us watch Schindler's List. It's a tough one. It's overrated. Well, it's a slow burn. No, it's overrated and inaccurate. Okay, so let's 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 set the table in this one. How many awards does that thing win if Spielberg wasn't behind it? I have no, I I, I can't answer that. How many? Uh, how how uh, do you think you would like that film anymore if if everybody if it was a Russian film and there was a bunch of Russian? Oh, well, it's it's not it's not the point. It's the point that come and see depicts something in history that's swept under the rug and not shown. And come and see is actually viscerally disturbing. You see a whole, basically is what the scene I was, I was trying to alluding to that the Patriot uh, copied some of. The villagers, is, uh, the, the villagers uh, are crowded into a barn and they're told specifically those with children can leave, 
but you have to leave your children here. And the Germans set it on fire with their collaborators. And the whole thing, it, it, it plays out. It comes and goes almost really quickly. Like, there's little buildup. The Germans come in, they strike, and then they move on to the next town. It's almost like they're a disease. And there's two, there's two segments in that whole scene that really, like, um, uh, stick with me. Uh, one is uh, they, they find Floria, the boy, and they make him pose for a photo op. They force him down on his knees, and one of the soldiers holds a gun to his head. He doesn't fire, but they take a picture, like, for a souvenir. And the other is, as the building's burning, um, some soldiers are running, are running from the barn carrying a bed with an old woman. They place the bed down. One of the soldiers pats her stomach and says, Stay here, grandmother. Bear us many children. So you can get, you can connect the dots to what just happened. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a really, really hard movie to sit through. I mean, it was so... From what I've, from what I've read, the production was so intense. Uh, the, the actor who played Floria, who was like 16 at the time, his hair turned gray by the time they were done filming it. <laughs> Come on, really? Yeah. That's like Ghostbusters. Shit, that will turn you white. Fucking like, that's crazy, man. That's crazy. Mr. Staples, I think you're the first person to mention come and see in Ghostbusters in the same sentence. That's, I, uh, that's going down. That's something. <laughs> yeah, it is something. So come and see. So that's the whole attraction is come and see. We're going to kill your kids, and you're going to have a front row position with your fucking stirrups. No, it's... Fucking, I, I, don't, I don't see it. It's, it's, not, it's not a sensational film like that. I mean... It's a very honest depiction of what, you know, the people, what, what, some, what several people in the Soviet Union dealt with. Like, the German oppression was, like, uh, occupation. It's some of the worst stuff imaginable. The, the German brigade that's in the uh, film is based heavily off of a division called the uh, Durawanger Brigade. The, this is a penal battalion made up of uh, criminals that purposely went out to ha- hunt... Uh, People who practice guerrilla warfare. Um, Durawanga. Duro, yes. Durawanga Brigade. I never heard of that before. Yeah. Um, uh, the the uh, commander was a, uh, he was a, I know he was a convicted pedophile and he was a psychopath. And some of the, re- some of the accounts I've read of them is uh, they're very famous for uh, burning babies alive. Really? During the uh, occupation in Poland. So the absolute worst of the worst. So fucking the Dorowonga Brigade goes in there. I, I've never, uh, the, I just watched Patton, man. Fucking like, you think that one's overrated? That's his place. I mean, George C. Scott's great in it. I think Carl Malden's great in it. George C. Scott's fucking, I think I know him for Exorcist 3 more than anything else, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've watched that more than anything he's done. That's kind of like overlooked, though, for a sequel, especially third in the chain. Fucking Exorcist 3 is worth your time. Oh yeah, like as far as the Exorcist films go, that the first one, the third one are the only one that mattered to me. I mean, Exorcist Two is just ugh, no comment. Do you find that like there's a particular, um, excluding um, the second, like the the first sequel, is there a particular franchise that really hit the third sequel? Like you know, like you know, like a number three, like Alien Three or Rocky Three. You know, like is there fr- one particular franchise that's done that better than anybody else? Uh, so you're asking if like if is is a third installment better than the others for mm-hmm. as far as uh, films goes? Yeah, like first, like the third is better than the second. You know, hmm, that's a tough one. Um, I'd say uh, I'd say the uh, 
the man with no name trilogy, the good and bad, the ugly is, is, is definitely a huge uh, progression from fistful of dollars and a few dollars more. So I mean, it's it's definitely Leon at the top of his game. Um, I think uh, Once Upon a Time in the West trumps all three of them, though. Uh, I as uh, as as weird as it is to say, I'd say that uh, Back to the Future Part Three. Come on, Jerome. In all honesty, that trilogy is perfect. It wrapped itself up. There's never going to be a reboot or an install. It they made the three films, and that was it. You think that three is better than two? Absolutely. Oh. Robert oh. Zemeckis got to live his boyhood dream. He got to go oh. and remake all those. He got to go and shoot where they shot a lot of those old John Ford westerns. Damn. <laughs> Jay said this at practice not that long ago. Yeah. I, I, I think three is a shit film. I hate three. I hate it. It's no good. It's no good. Fucking drive it into a fucking, a fucking scene and all the cowboy show up. Oh, I liked it when he jumped the car off the little Mesa table. That was cool. I just lo- I think the one thing I loved most about it is when uh, they re- they reenact the scene with the uh, the stove hatch underneath the poncho. Oh yeah, that yeah, that's the same shit. But he sees that in number two. I like that, and that's a little thing too. Uh, I love that fifteen. He's like he's the, the man's great. Fucking you know, he's sitting <laughs> in the hot tub, fucking completely blown away by the fucking iron stove and shit like that. You know. Yeah. I don't know. But I think two is probably my favorite. Fucking like two and the Godfather two are like. For me, I think like, those are better than any of the other ones that they ever did. I don't know. You don't like the Coppola stuff, do you? you, oh, you like I, the, you're Apocalypse Now, right? I love Apocalypse Now. <laughs> it, for, for me, it's the quintessential movie about Vietnam. Yeah. Coppola even said it himself. He said, my movie is, isn't Vietnam, isn't about Vietnam. It is Vietnam. Really? Yeah. Um, I think it really captured a lot. I think it, a friend of mine brought up a good point uh, that, you know, at, the, at, at its core, it's almost a horror film. But for for me for for me personally, um, it's ta- it's taking it's taking the conflict and applying it to a uh, heart of darkness by Conrad, you know, retelling retell- retelling the story, you know, in during during the conflict. I think that's you know, <clears throat> you're talking about how to darkness the book. Yes. Okay. I have a copy of that. I've never even read it. Oh, it's amazing. Isn't it about lion hunting or some shit? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine fucking... Didn't they make a Val Kilmer movie about lion hunting? No, no, no. That's the ghost in the darkness. Oh, all right. Heart of, Heart of, of Darkness is about a mad jungle leader named Kurtz. So Ghost in the Darkness is going to be right there, though, right? That's going to be just as good, oh, right? Oh, no, no. Oh, all right. <laughs> just, you know, checking in about it. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if I, should, if I should watch that yet. I've seen Apocalypse now more times than I can remember. I tried watching with Katie. Passes right the fuck out. Fucking, she doesn't get these films at all. Actually, Larissa's favorite movie. Really? Yeah. It's fucking dark as all fuck. I mean, I like it actually because it's it's, you know what? I, I I like naval movies, and you mm-hmm. don't really have like too many naval movies with Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many? Well, you you've seen more than me. I can't, It's all ground shit. There's nothing really about the air force. It's all about fucking infantry grunt shit. Fucking you know, like there's no real naval movie about Vietnam. And fucking Apocalypse Now is mostly on a boat. Mm-hmm. And I think that boat, movies about boats, dude, that's another thing I like about that. There's just something about the texture of the fucking constant motion, shit like that, you know? I, th- I mean, I think it's a perfect, I think it's a perfect scenario because, you know, they're going deeper, deeper in the jungle. And it's, it's about, like, the journey and the madness. And uh, considering the fact Brando showed up overweight and unprepared, he delivers one of the best performances of his career. Like bar none. I mean, the Lion World. I mean, in the Redux version, 
there's one line where you know he sits down and he reads. Uh, I I don't remember the the line he says specifically, but he reads uh, newspaper clippings of the war. Um. Yeah, I can't remember the line. Either. Yeah, I. I <laughs> It's, I liked him in the island of Dr. Monroe. Oh, God. <laughs> that have, was you seen, have you seen Lost Souls? Lost Souls? No. Oh, uh, Island of Lost Souls. It's about... Uh, I might have gotten that title wrong, but uh, it's about the sh- it's about the shooting of that movie. Really? And I, oh, can, it's a- I, I, can say, I can say this with absolute certainty. Of all the movies I've watched so far this year, I, yeah, I finally watched The Island of Dr. Monroe. Yeah. Life Worst changes? movie I've seen this year. I oh, finally got on. around to watching it. It's so horrible. Come on, Richard Stanley. Like when he, because you know who's booed off the project. That was there. You know, he had a vision for that film. <laughs> you know, yeah, he has he had ambition as as you know a filmmaker, but it's just when Oppenheimer took it over, it's like it's just hollow. Yeah, it's like it's like a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, what's wrong with the Coen Brothers? They're not. They're not. They're not artists. They're an assembly line. Oh, really? I've never heard that. That's actually. I like that though. But like, I mean, by- I'm not comparing. I'm not comparing um, on Doctor Monroe to the Coen Brothers filmography. Like, they make good movies, but yeah. it's pandering to a crowd. It there's no like, there's no ambition behind it. I can't stand old brother. Where at thou? I fucking hate musicals to begin with. You hate musicals? Yeah. Oh, jeez. I, I, like, I like Swiss Family Robinson. That's a good musical. <laughs> Fucking the Disney films are good musicals. Aladdin. That's a keeper. Fucking Fantasia. I like Shock hits. Treatment. Shock Treatment. Yeah, it's a sequel to Rocky Horror. I never seen that. Oh, it's amazing. I've only seen the Rocky <laughs> Horror thing. I only watched it in Halloween. Fucking, you know, it's always on. I like the way Sharon Stone looks in that. <laughs> Fucking and um, I don't know. I actually though, I'm more impressed with Tim Curry and fucking Legend than I am in, in Rocky Horror. That's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. <laughs> fucking, it's evil. I mean, nowadays everybody's fucking jerking off to it because it's like retro and all that shit. But you know, fucking, pretty f- phenomenal uh, makeup aesthetic on t- um, Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel about the uh, Stephen King remake of uh, It that's supposed to be coming out? You know. The thing with Steve, with for my, I have a weird relationship with Stephen King. <laughs> it's very like on again, off again. I mean, when he, I feel that when there's an adaptation of his films, it's amazing. Carrie, The Shining, The Dead Zone. When you have the right director, you get that. You get a bad director, well, you get Maximum Overdrive, The Tommy Knockers. Um, most of the television miniseries, except for uh, aside from The Stand, were all really lackluster. And then when King directed, we got Maximum Overdrive, which has a very good soundtrack, but is just a clusterfuck of uh, plot of uh, plot holes. I don't know if you've uh, have you seen Maximum Overdrive? Ah, it's been years. <laughs> I remember seeing it literally. It was on VHS. We had an old uh, babysitter. We used to watch pretty much only Stephen King. Like, like she had a ton of boots, and but it was the big one that I really admired. And then like Pet Cemetery, Misery, those are um, all good too. I remember like when the Tommy Knockers came out and shit. Um, wasn't the Stand supposed to be fucking remade? I heard. That. I heard. I heard that. I, w- I wouldn't. You know, if if you got the right director, the Stand could actually be really, really good. Yeah, because I thought as for a TV movie, the I, 
he kind of fucking cuckolded there to begin with, you know? He kind of just like, yeah, what can I do here, that, you know? Like, Storm of the Century was the last one I watched by him on TV. I don't think I've seen that one. It's a, it was a two-parter, I think. It's probably on sci-fi now, like, fucking nearly religiously. Classic shit, though, main town, you know? If you were, if, if you could remake one Stephen King movie, what would it be? If I could remake one? Yeah. Like, if... If, if Jerome has the fucking director's chair... And the fucking and the keys to the bank account. What movie are you gonna remake? Ooh, that's a tough one. Hmm. Stand by I, me. I, I couldn't touch. I, I wouldn't want to touch Stand by me. I mean, I mean, <laughs> that the thing. The thing is, though, it's a hard question for me to answer because I have no interest in making horror films. Really? No, I mean, I mean, I, I make I make experimental film. What's experimental about it? It's where it's where it's where you it's where you use image to tell a story rather than rather than a traditional narrative. Because you know, in, in movies like you, in, with film especially, the image tell if the image does a better job at telling the story than any any bit of dialogue can. Um, I mean, when I first started, you know, I was heavily I like when I first when I first got into it when my when, when I started uh, studying under Tracy McCauley and like. I was like obsessed. I wanted to be like Richard Kern. Okay. I wanted to be. I was like. I was like. That was my. That was my mission statement for like the first like I'd say six to eight months. I was like, I want to be the Richard Kern of Boston. Who's Richard Kern? Uh, Richard Kern. Um, you might not recognize his name, but you have seen his work before, because um, since you're my age, you remember the uh, Marilyn Man- the video to uh, Lunchbox by Marilyn Manson. Ah, uh, no. Was that a claymation? No, no, no. This is one where this is this is the one where they're they're playing in the roller rink. No, I can't. Well, uh, they brought, they asked him to uh, direct that. Um, Richard Kern was really uh, popular in the no wave scene. Um, made a made a very fam- famous film called Right Side of My Brain with uh, Lydia Lunch and Henry Rollins. What the fuck is no wave? No wave. No wave. No wave is a, a musical sub- subgenre that was popular in New York during the uh, early eighties. The, the Swans were a big part of it. Oh, okay. There's no wave. It's just like ice. It's flat. Nothing going on here. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it was after uh, I shot my first... But I, I, after I finished uh, shooting uh, Morning, uh, my mentor told me, she, she was like, you got to check out this uh, director named Maya Darren. You know, I was like, okay, I'll check out her work. And, you know, that was... Uh, that, 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 that's when everything changed. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen... <laughs> Like really, I don't know. Like Hillary talks about stuff being like high at. I don't know how do I ten like high at what like Cheech and Chong. Like what is that fucking like? <laughs> you know, I, I really don't know how to identify that. I give it a shot and look at it, but like I don't know. You know, there's nothing really shoved you know in front of me telling me what to watch. You know, like even like short films. I think it kind of like not really promoted in a way. You know, because you're more concerned about the artistic angle of things. It's unique. You know, the average American film fam is all about fucking die hard and shit, you know? Yeah. Do you find that there's an artistic fucking action movie? Like, that speaks with imagery fucking more than anything? That's a, that's a tough question. I like that movie Drive. I mean, I got that up over I mean, there in my right. I would say, like, uh, one action movie that, you know, I still hold in extremely high regard, I'm not ashamed to admit, is The Warriors. Really? Yeah, I've never seen it. You've never seen the Warriors. I'm a loser. You have never seen the Warriors. I I can't even go out to play. Everybody talks about it. I, I don't know what the fuck's going on. The Warriors is great. Same with the Lost Boys. 
Don't know what's going on. <sighs> You've never seen The Lost Boys never seen either, the Lost man. Boys. Yeah. I've never seen a Star Trek movie. Fucking, that's another one. Fucking, I uh, never saw The Thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, you need to come over for movie night at my place. I'm a babe in the woods over here. <laughs> <laughs> I watch sports movies. I like documentaries and shit. But I do watch foreign films. And, uh, in fact, I, I consulted you regarding... Um, I do like the Werner Herzog stuff. That's on Netflix. I really got into... Um, Cave of uh, the Forgotten Dreams. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Into the Inferno, which is about volcanoes, and it ends up being um, pretty much uh, an account about uh, human evolution and biology and such, and you know, past civilizations perishing and volcanic events. Um, but the one I really fucking loved was fucking Agria, the Wrath of God. Oh, Aguirre? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Aguirre. Aguirre? Aguirre. Aguirre. A Gi-Ray. A Gi-Ray. It's a Gi-Ray. <laughs> it's French. I can say that now. Spanish, actually. Yeah, well, I, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a Quinsig guy. I can't really speak the best Spanish right now. Fucking, <laughs> I'm getting up there. But uh, overall, I was, like, completely fucking struck by that film because I've never seen a film about the Conquistadors. Really? Talk, yeah, but I don't know where to start. Like, wh- where should I watch for Conquistador films? Like, you know? Oh, uh, there's a really good one. Um, I... <laughs> I'm an idiot and can't remember the name of the director, but uh, it's called The Mission. The Mission. It was written by Robert Bolt. Uh, Jer- it uh, has Jeremy Irons and um, Robert De Niro. It's not about the conquistadors. There's a, there, are, oh. there is a conquistador in it. That is, I've seen that cover. I remember that with De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Every screenplay that Robert Bolt ever wrote was amazing. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at his resume, uh, you know, Dr. Zhivago. Um, Lawrence of Arabia, A Man for All Seasons, The Bounty. He he's undeniably he was undeniably I, the greatest screenwriter ever lived. Never wrote a bad screenplay. You know there there's very few like uh, who could say well I've never made who, I've never made a bad film or never made made a bad screenplay. He's one of them. What's the difference between the screenplay guy and the fucking writer? Does the screenplay guy got like the cue cards and the index cards? No, no the screenplay and- is, a, is a script. Oh, okay. It's a script. It's it's how it's how char- how characters talk with one another and how how they relate how the story unfolds. So literally, it's like fucking the entire fucking script. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I don't. Know, so, but you got a writer. What the fuck does the writer do? Does the writer fucking or are they even like writers on fucking like do TV shows have screenplays or yeah uh, yeah all right because like I know like they they have like two or three writers so. Like on Thirty Rock, they got like fucking fifteen writers or something like that. They got a whole <laughs> bunch of jokers in there. Oh yeah. I don't know how this stuff works. You go to school for it, you know. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, but fucking like you know, what's the, you know? There's like the grip. That's a big position. Yeah, someone who holds a microphone and lighting. Okay. What about the best boy? That's like a. Thing. I don't know what the best boy does. He doesn't like at the buffet or something like that. No, like, like I, I can tell you, every single production <clears throat> that I've done. It's, you know, like, I'm a control freak, so I do my own lighting. I shoot it. Um, I, you know, I, sh- I, I shoot it. I edit it, conceptualize. Except for the new film I'm working on, uh, my, fr- uh, my friend Rai, who was in, you know, the last three films I was doing, uh, the entire film is based on a short, uh, on some of his writing. Because he, he, he did a lot, of, he's done, like, a lot of, like, avant-garde spoken word. And I told him, I was like, I was like, hey, can you write something or give me some old material that I want to work with I want to turn into a film? So he gave me this uh, 
He, he gave me a, a short work called a Vacation of a Lifetime. So I decided to go from there. Really? Yeah. W- what's it about? It's, it's it's really hard hard to describe because it's 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 really like it's a, it's like a lot of abstract ideas he writes when he when he started when he started reading it to me like a, a like some of it like was hard was hard to com- for me to comprehend at first but there was one line that really stuck with me and that was uh we heal ourselves to hunt again we heal ourselves to hunt again yes <clears throat> so what's that about like fucking getting laid or like eating dinner for uh, for me, it's it's about you know surviving trauma and moving on from it. Okay, okay. That for for me anyway. Really? I mean, like th- that's the that's the thing about uh, film or any other type of art. Like, if you ask six different people, you'll get six different interpretations. Right. I mean, you know, you know, someone like me, you know, I'm I tend to be like rather opinionated, but a lot of times it's you know my interpretation of what it is. You know, like some people think Campbell Holocaust is crap, and I think it's a very important film. You know, some people love the Green Inferno. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not. I'm going to keep my mouth shut about Eli Roth this time. Oh come on, Green. I mean, I think the Green Inferno doesn't take itself too seriously, though. It's not like like see, Campbell Holocaust is fucking a gorgeous film, but there's a sort of tragedy there that's sort of on par. I'm going to say this. It's, it's kind of on par with like Troll Two. Something, whoa, whoa, it, whoa, it whoa, misses, whoa! It misses whoa. itself. It misses the mark a little bit. It misses the mark no, a little bit. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to agree. I, I, I disagree with you uh, fully on this. What troll two? About like there, there. For for me, there's no comparison between troll two and Campbell Holocaust. Okay. Like at all, man. Yeah, I, but what about there being like some sort of like director who's like, like really serious, and they just ends up like kind of like missing the mark. That's happened lots of times. I mean, look at Heaven's Gate. Michael Cimino had, like, ambition. He had vision. And, you know, I think, like, people are reassessing it now and saying, yeah, this is, you know, a great American film. But when it came out, it was a bomb. It destroyed his career. It, it did damage to his career and it destroyed United Artists. That's how I actually turned to you and consulted you about that film, Heaven's Gate, because it said it was, it was like some Thanksgiving article. It said, like, 10 biggest turkeys at the box office. And they said, like, that film was so tedious and long and long to fucking... It was like a four-hour film. And um, it actually fucking... It, it did, like, 20 mil at the box office back in 1980. And they were like, this is such a fucking a financial disaster. However, the film itself is fucking superior. Mm-hmm. A lot of people... I mean, it's technically one of the best films, they say, the uh, American films of the past fucking 30 years. I think uh, earlier I, I earlier I mentioned Robert Bolt. Um, there's a, there's a famous uh, line about that film that you know Chimino wanted to be the uh, he wanted to be the uh, the Doctor Zhivago, the Gone with the Wind, and the uh, the Lawrence of Arabia, the American West. Doctor Zhivago and uh, Lawrence of Arabia both had Bolt as a screenwriter. I think that. Uh, People were expecting something great because you know he was fr- he was hot he was fresh this he did it like right after the deer hunter, yeah. So he you know I think he just became obsessed with making the perfect movie. I mean okay. I think I think the original his original cut was like five and a half hours. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like he uh, but you know I I think you know especially because Chimino passed last year. I think when we look back at it we just we just I think it's. Uh, Important to think that you know, yeah, this was someone who had a vision, he had ambition, and they went for it. The first scene in Heaven's Gate, 
it's one of the early scenes where they're like having yacht, having like a, a fucking graduation or something. The film, the thing that strikes me about that film is that there's like 200 fucking people involved in several shots. And there's one scene there where they're all dancing in this fucking profound choreography. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fucking... It's like intoxicating, the visualization of it all. Mm-hmm. It's like really fucking pleasing just to see like this like fucking vibrant display of colors and like fucking like this like like just arrangement of fucking like pattern that fucking... I don't know. I've never seen anything like that in a film before. And it's like in the <clears throat> first fucking 20 minutes of some shit. They have a few different scenes. But it's a very long drawn out movie. Um, one movie you know I watched the other night was this fucking movie reminding me of that was uh, Cage Musha it's a Japanese film it's on Netflix I don't think I've seen it it's fucking intense but there's a lot of like infantry movement of like uh, large groups of people oh Kagamusha yeah I don't fucking speak Japanese Kagamusha oh that that film's the one that's uh, Akira Kurosawa's last movie is that it yeah yeah I believe it's his last one that's the uh, I don't know about that dude the emperor and his body double Yes, yes. That's that, the that one. That one's uh, incredible. Um, when it comes to Kurosawa, my favorite from him will always be Throne of the Blood. Really? Throne of the Blood is a masterpiece. Um, I, of, isn't that like a trilogy, though, or something? No, Throne of the Blood is actually an adaptation of Macbeth. Really? But he sets it in feudal Japan. Right. And um, one of the cool things about it is it's, it's, a, it's a decent adaptation of Macbeth, but at the same time, he incorporates a lot of stuff with, with like Japanese theater and, and Japanese folklore in, into it as well. Like a lot of the characters, like the way their makeup is, is like based on traditional Japanese theater. Like instead of instead of the general meeting three witches, he meets a forest spirit. Um, it's, it's so well done. It's it's one of my it's I say like it's it's up there with my f- four favorite uh, Shakespearean adaptations. Really? Yeah. So uh, you said four. Where are the other three? Uh, I'd have to say uh, Henry uh, Kenneth Branagh's version of Henry V, because that um, Ham- Hamlet was good, but I prefer Henry V because uh, like the casting in that was perfect. Um, Robbie Coltrane plays Falstaff, and he's like perfect. Who the he's, fuck's Robbie Coltrane? Um, he played Hagrid in Harry Potter. I don't, I've only seen one Harry Potter. I'm gonna call it right now. That Dumbledore dude, he's up to no good. I think he might be a Manchurian type candidate wizard. Like I don't know if he's a real thing yet. Oh, I'm just boy. speculating and putting that out there. I haven't seen the rest of him yet. We'll check in with you. But, but uh, he, he was in that. Um, Robbie Coltrane was also uh, on a uh, BBC television program called uh, The Comic Strip. He made a few appearances on Bad News, and uh, he was also on a really good uh, BBC television show called uh, Cracker, where he played a police psychiatrist. Cracker. Yeah, it's really good actually. But um, <laughs> fucking cra- there's a show called Cracker. Yeah, <laughs> and it's about a police psychiatrist. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta see this. Yeah, Rob- <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's really good. Is it, um, is it better than Father Ted? I've only seen I've only seen little bits and pieces of Father Ted, but I'm 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 willing to bet it is. All right. Uh, but my other two favorites, uh, Titus by Julie Taymor, which is mind blowing. Who is that, Julie Taymor? Julie Taymor, she's a director. She did uh she also did uh Across the Universe. Across the Universe. That's the Oh yeah. I haven't seen that. I know that it's a Beatles song, but I remember seeing the cover when I worked at Noobs. Mm-hmm. It's got a very uh floral cover to well, it. Well, Titus Andronicus, it's uh Shakespeare's most it's a, a lot of people consider it Shakespeare's bloodiest play, 
I love what Julie did with the script. Like, it kind of like merges, like, because it's it's set in uh, Roman times. It kind of it merges like ancient Rome with uh, with like like a lot of modern feel. It has this really like real, and I love the set design. Oh, it's the set the, the like the set design, the wardrobe, everything is just it's 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 it's, it's drab and it works. Um. Well, other, uh, the other uh, Shakespearean adaptation. You like the band Drab Majesty, by the way? I've never heard them. Oh, we're going to play that later. You're going to be into it. Wait until you see these fucking music videos. They look like, they remind me of that in, in like, uh, how do you say it? Kajmusha? Kagimusha? Kagimusha. When he's got, and he's in the fucking place with all the fucking different colors and shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's like this stuff. But the other, the other one I like is, is one I think that's kind of underrated and kind of fun to watch is, uh, Another Branagh film, uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Okay. It's, okay, the one thing that is, that I, I used to, that's most memorable about, or one of them is, Keanu Reeves attempting to do Shakespeare. <laughs> really? Yeah. He says more than fucking five words? Yeah. He's, he, has, nah. he has a very prominent role in it. That's that thing, dude. Keanu Reeves doesn't say more than five words in a line, in anything he does. I got Street Kings over there, Heat, what do you want to watch? He, it's always like five words, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Very methodical, <laughs> uh, but uh, it also has a like. It also has a. What was, I'm trying to remember his name. Michael Keaton's in it. He's hilarious. Um, Brian Bless has a small role. He's he's great in everything. Uh, Denzel Washington's in it. And he's wonderful. Wait, wait, what's your favorite Denzel Washington film? My favorite Denzel Washington movie. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm gonna have to go to Glory. Really? Yeah. Can't stand Matthew Broderick. Neither can I. You know, we finally agree on something. I can't stand him All either. Right. Bloxy Blues, fuck off. Get out of here. <laughs> I, I, one of the, I think one of the, it's weird. Like one of my favorite things about Glory was uh, one of the minor characters, uh, the Joel Sergeant, Sergeant Mulcahy, because um, during the Civil War, of course, you had lots of people who were immigrants who came to fight for the Union. I, I love the, you know, the, I, I just love the character, the uh, tough as nails Scottish Joel Sergeant, you know. Oh, you Bonnie Prince Charlie. Oh, and his little toy bayonet. <laughs> I used to work right by the mon- uh, the memorial for that, right by the the, the courthouse. I'm not the no court, kidding. The state house, you know, like right on the Freedom Trail. I used to sell Italian ice right there, bro. You know, the SSD cover where they're all fucking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fucking, yeah, that's where I worked. <laughs> but they had that monument there. Like, it's actually like a T-stop, I think. But, uh. We watched that movie in class, and yeah. I remember there was like a controversy about that when it first came out. Somebody in like some teacher in like fucking like Braintree or whatever like showed it for his class and uh, got fired for it. Really? Because, yeah, they said it was too graphic, and it was like a bunch of like fourth or fifth graders that watched it. Because I remember watching it in eighth grade, and I, yeah, I mean, I could see there's there's some stuff in there that is you know. It's violent. I mean, it's a war movie, but at the same time, but the, but why is it important though to have that violence? I mean, regarding Cannibal Holocaust, and regarding how your your filmmaking is so prone to kind of approach the visual side of aesthetics. Why is that important to show that? You're saying why is it important to show violence? Yeah, it depends. It depends on what type of film it is. To be honest, I mean. Uh, case in point, um, one film I hold in very, very high regard is a movie called Men Behind the Sun, which uh, which I touched on when we first started here. Um, 
It's a movie by a Chinese director named Tun Fei Mao, and it's about the uh, atrocities committed by Unit 731. Unit 731. Yeah. And wh- what was this? This was during World War II. The Japanese okay. had a biological weapons testing facility in Manchuria where they experimented uh, uh, on live human beings. And a lot of times these people were like vivisected while they were still alive without anesthesia. Um, and, and basically they were, they, we had, there were people who were in, infected with germs because uh, they were tra- attempting to build a, a, pub- a new strain of pubonic plague virus. But his film is very accurate with its depiction of what US-731 did when it comes to vivisection and a lot of the experiments it did. But so it's being very, very honest and it's there to provoke a response. But at the same time, it also deals with indoctrination and ideology. You know, the type of the type of uh, ideology the Japanese uh, army had uh, during World War II and also... <clears throat> Also deals with you know how you know you get like the younger generation indoctrinated and how and force them to adapt to this ideology. Okay, so that's fucking pretty interesting fucking subject to tackle. You know, cause, yeah. You know, like ultimately, what's interesting though about war? I mean, like particularly war films, is that they don't really express the ideology behind it too much. I mean, we talked about Schindler's List briefly, but there's no like war actually, other than like the fucking camp. Like they're not sure actually battles, right. Uh, if you if you want to get if you really want to have a good watch that really focuses entirely on methods of thinking, uh, it's streaming on Amazon Prime if you have it. It's called Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Yeah. Is that a Mel Gibson movie? No. He drives a taxi cab and fucking like does he like find Julia Roberts? She's a good actress, right? Oh God. You like Mel? Come on. You don't like the Passion of the Christ? How about that? Fucking- I like the Apocalypto better. Apocalypse was awesome, dude. Oh, it is. We it's love amazing. that movie. Uh, Conspiracy is about the Von Say conference that happened in 1942, where basically, basically me- several members of the SS and the Nazi high command got together and orchestrated the plans for the final solution, which is the concentration camps. This movie is based on the minutes from the meeting. And Kenneth Branagh plays um, Reinhard Heydrich. Stanley Tucci's in it. He plays um, Adolf Eichmann. And uh, Colin Firth is in it as well, and you really get and there's you get really get to see how like the different people <clears throat> of the Nazi Party how they interact with one another, how their how how their minds worked, because it was it wasn't just just a matter of them meeting up deciding one thing. <coughs> you have some people who are very very blind to like their cause and the ideology. You have people who are arrogant. You have people who are uh, just just pen pushers basically. But the whole conversation is just, it's really like, it's, it's, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's really chilling when, you know, when it's all said and done. I mean, there's, um, uh, there's one line that really, that like, for the first time I saw it, like, kind of like, kind of blew me away a bit was, uh, I believe it's Eichmann who says, says, um, says dead men don't hum, dead women don't get pregnant. The best there, the best medicine is a bullet. Oh. And that's from like the actual meeting. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting watch, but it's really like, you know, it it kind of it kind of like kind of kind of hits you the deep because you know this is what actually happens. What'd you think about <laughs> Downfall? I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because Downfall stars one of my favorite German actors, Bruno Granz. Yeah, who was in Nosferatu the Vampire, and was also in my favorite Vin Vendor's movie Wings of Desire. 
I don't Downfall. know Vin Vendors, but this Nosferatu one is this the Werner Herzog one? It is. Okay, all right. Um, I think I think Leap, don't fucking jump on that table, cat. Don't fucking jump on that table. I'll fucking freak out. There right was now. a lot of controversy with that one because I remember there was some there was some article from some German magazine that said, "Are we ready to show Hitler as a monster?" <laughs> oh, no, I mean, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, are we ready to show the monster is human? Okay, all right. And don't jump. These nachos are the prime fucking treat. I thought tonight. it was good because it touched on something that I had not seen in another war movie, and that was most of the people who defended Berlin those final days were members of the Hitler Youth. Yeah, with, with downfall because yeah. they have like the there's that that whole core is actually the only troops that you kind of follow. If mm-hmm. I'm correct, yeah. I mean, um, like the only ground troops is children. It's kind of unfortunate too, because like the whole Hitler memes have taken off. You know, you go on YouTube, there's like eight million of them. But Bruno Granz, oh I mean, yeah, he was listening to the Morbid Angel album. He didn't like it. <laughs> Hitler, he, he he really went off about it. By the way, I don't know if anybody saw that. Well, Morbid Angel sucked for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I haven't even heard the I album yet. Metal's dead, Josh. Go buy a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> but but Downfall to me was ultimately one of the most intense movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It was not even a war movie. Like and probably as a historical film, I can't I don't shit. I mean you know, I just seen something like there's some some asshole in Argentina says he's fucking Hitler or some shit, but like in the end, like that whole portrayal f- told by his secretary fucking is it's uncanny. Oh yeah, Trudy me. Young. Uh, yeah, that's I, I, believe, name, right? I believe that's her name. Trudy. Trudy. I think it's either Lang or Young. I forget. Um, but no, like uh, it's it's one of those because it, I I actually I ha- I hold in high regard because it broke from what Das Boot and Stalingrad both did was Stalingrad and Das Boot both had that kind and it also to lesser extent as far as my feet will carry me they had the whole trope of. German soldiers in the field, disenfranchised with their command, to try to distance like the regular army and regular soldiers from the ideology, and 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 the rest of what was going on. And I don't, I think downfall was really accurate in what it was portraying. You know, there were there were people who were like in the bunker who you know, and people who were defending who were like we're gonna fight to the last bullet and and uh, take turn turn our guns on ourselves. There's no shortage of remarkable characters though in that film. Mm-hmm. Like Speer is fucking captivating. Himmler. Himmler shows up. You're like, what the fucking Himmler? And then you got fucking Goebbels there and his fucking crazy oh, wife. Oh, Goebbels, yep. Yeah, fucking she shows up fucking killing her children in their sleep. <laughs> I can't even remember the National Socialism. I'm like, whoa, bitch, please. <laughs> like, she really... It's a fucking intense film, dude. It's it's funny, um... It's it's funny you bring up Goebbels because um, I remember a number of years ago um, I, I got I, I it's been a long time since I've seen it but the last German propaganda film is actually very very interesting it's called Kohlberg Kohlberg yeah K O L B E R G um it's about it's about it's about a Prussian town and the army taking taking a taking a stand against uh, Napoleon's army. And this was released because you know the Russians were right outside Berlin. Anti-French movie. Well, it's 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 not, it's not so much an anti-French movie as it is like a resistance movie. Right on. Yeah, it's so uh, it's it's uh, um, 
It's really interesting to watch because Goebbels, like, he was big into using entertainment to get the message across rather than flat out, you know, uh, pageantry. Okay. Um, like, uh, there's one movie in particular, I don't remember the name of it, but that takes <clears throat> place in South Africa, that, uh, that did not put out those, that takes place in South Africa. And, um, District 12. No. That's the name of it, right? That guy's good. Fucking hate you. <laughs> no, but um, it takes place in South Africa, and uh, it's about uh, it's a it's it takes place. I believe it takes place during the Boer War, where the Boer War. What the fuck's the Boer? That War? was a conflict between um, the Boers and the uh, and the British. Who are the Boers? I believe they're of Dutch descent. Oh, and they're but they're in South Africa. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing the whole thing is you know. Adopting someone else's culture into the family and and and, and uh, not I mean not adopting someone else's culture into the family and sticking to your roots, so it's like a subtle thing of you know beware of outside influence, stay true to you know your national pride. A lot a lot of the propaganda films are really it's, it's really interesting when you get into some of the, some of the films from that time period because their their context is really subtle, like it's not like it's like some of the stuff is like really like. Out in front, like trying for the will, uh, Hitler, you and the quicks. Those ones are like really out front with like what they're, what they're trying to convey. But a lot of the, one of the ones, it's like beneath the surface. Where does um, Caligula reincarnated as Hitler appear on the propaganda list? <laughs> okay, I have to I have to uh, talk about this movie. Okay, first uh, I have to also kind of vague book about something. Um, I'm currently writing a book about the Nazi exploitation subgenre. Really. Yeah, I am. Um, I know nothing about the exploitation. Isn't this like alt right stuff? Like, it's just oh no, no, no! It's not. It's not alt right. It's, it's jack. It's jack boots, kink, and lots of sex. Jack boots. What's that mean? You jerk off in the boots? Or no, something? no, jack boots. You know, boots. Oh, um, but That's no, what they call them. In Caligula. No, this this is where things get interesting. When you get into the Nazi exploitation genre, you will get like one film that has six different alternate titles. Caligula Reincarnated Hitler is an alternate title to a movie that translates to The Last Orgy of the Third Reich. The Last Orgy of the Third Reich. But its most popular t- its most popular title is The Gestapo's Last Orgy. The Gestapo's Last Orgy. And it was, it's funny because it was the first film uh, I ever... The first article I had that was actually in print for the Midnight Grind, uh, a number of... Uh, 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 last year... What's was the Midnight on, Grind? Midnight Grind was, was a was a one off thing that was done by my friend Nick in New York. It was a it was a call it was a throwback to some of the old uh, exploitation fanzines. Okay, like everything was done on Xerox. Okay, you know okay. Uh, it was me and a couple other writers, Matt Schwartz, John Walter Spuzner. Um, <clears throat> but the the movie that killed that whole genre was the Gestapo's Last Orgy, and it's it's kind of it's really like in its own world. It's it's almost like you took the night porter, crossed it with the poor women of the SS special section, and made a movie. And it's it's really hard to hard to like describe the whole thing. Like the it's 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 told in a series of flashbacks where an old camp commandant reunites with his lover who was once a prisoner in the camp, and the whole thing is like is like flashbacks going to their relationship, and. It killed off the entire genre because, you know, if you watch, like, the Ilsa... You've seen Ilsa, She-Wolf, the SS. They never mentioned the Holocaust. 
you, you'll notice that they never mention the Holocaust. You know, it's like the Nazis are simply like the villains. There's it's simply like a vehicle to have kink. The Gestapo's last orgy broke that rule. There's a dinner table scene where the whole camp camp officers are sitting down to dinner, and there's this really there's this one there's this one guy there. There's this one he's like he's like a visiting doctor from Berlin, and he's got like he's he's like this really wiry guy with like buck teeth and like bleached blonde hair, and he explains that they're eating they're they're eating the prisoners. They're eating the prisoners, and there's a line where he, like, picks up, like, the slab of food from his plate and says, there's nothing better than unborn roast Jew baby or something. <laughs> so it, like, finally, like, addressed the fact that the Holocaust was real. There was an earlier scene in the film that, like, mimicked um, some of the selection techniques that Joseph Mengele used at Auschwitz. So this one, like, totally, like, addressed it. And as a result, like, the entire genre just basically died. Where were these made? In Italy. Is what happened, um... <clears throat> so it's a bunch of fascist fucking paying tribute to the Grand Doors Oh, fucking- no, no, no. It, it, they're, grind, they're, they're grindhouse movies basically riding the coattails of someone else's success. Oh, so Tarantino invented it. Oh, it, it, Tarantino can't hold a candle these guys. <laughs> um, I thought he had the franchise on Grindhouse. Like when it comes to a lot of these grindhouse movies, it was back then. It wasn't what movie you wanted to make; it's what movie you wanted to rip off. How do you get the name Grindhouse? Those those those, those are the names of different theaters that they would show at. Okay. So like when you, you hear people talk about the Grindhouse days, you know, there's the company Grindhouse releasing. Grindhouse is where the old theaters from so, from my from what I understand. So it's like an AMC, but it was like a fucking yeah, and you know, it was like SST Records instead. <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> um, basically, like, really, really sketchy-looking uh, places in uh, New York where, you know, you, you would go to a theater, like, at midnight, and you'd see, maybe maybe you'd go see something like El Topo or Razorhead or Rocky Horror. You'd have drug dealers, like, outside the theater. You'd have people drying their clothes there. It was like, it was like, it, and this is like, early 1980s New York. And Travis Bickles is buying Jujubees at the counter. Yeah, yeah. It, you know what? Taxi driver. Remember when he, you know how he's going to, takes uh, takes his date to see the Ruffy porn? Right. That's a grindhouse. Okay, okay, okay. That That, that is a, a, a version of the grindhouse. There it is. Boom. Full circle. Yeah. Um, Peter, I like Peter Boyle on that. Oh, he's great. California. <laughs> <laughs> Taxi driver's great. Get out there. But, um, I love that. Blood for Blood samples, that whole line where... I don't even think no, it's not even Bluffle Woods, it's Robert De Niro, but like fucking it's like the best pep talk ever. He's like, Get young kid, just go out there, get laid. You know? <laughs> but um so basically you had a Nazi exploitation really got start with films like uh, wanting to copy out the success of films like uh, The Night Porter and Salon Kitty. Salon Kitty, which is absolutely wonderful by the way. You should you should uh, you should watch that. It's a really happy, uplifting movie. It sounds like the kitten bowl. Oh, it, oh, it's a little bit more than that. It's more than that? What do you mean? Like, they got fucking puppies and shit, too? Fucking. Of a, of a variety. <laughs> but, 
So fucking isn't the guy from uh, Clockwork Orange and Caligula fucking like he, Malcolm McDowell? Oh, oh yes, he's we finally the main guy, right? We finally get to talk about Caligula. But, I've been waiting for this. But didn't fucking Caligula be the same thing as reincarnated as Hitler? Or was that the third? No, one? no, no. That, that that's just a title like capitalizing. That's just a, that's just an alternate title. So it had nothing to do with Caligula. They just like it's like yo Star Wars fucking featuring Indiana Jones or some shit. Mm. <laughs> well, it goes back to you know how Troll Two is not about trolls. It's a, it's a very complex film about complex subjects. You know, it's 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 using a title to to gain notoriety, but <laughs> Caligula. <laughs> what? Um, <clears throat> that was my time to shine. All right, all right, all right. Caligula. He's getting the microphone adjusted. There <clears throat> he is. Kids on fire. Caligula. Remember when you were in elementary school? Do you remember you ever played that game telephone? Yeah. You know how you know you say one person to one thing comes out the other comes out the other and then when it comes full circle it's totally different. Yep, that's Caligula. Okay, it has a it has the shape, the size, and look of a of a period piece like Ben Hur. Has a moral exploitation and nudity that you can sh- shake a stick at, and it looks like it was shot through a jar of Vaseline. Jar of Vaseline. Yes, that's phenomenal. <laughs> um, you started with a script called with uh, from Gore Vidal. Govadal was the fucking guy who debated fucking William Buckley. Yeah. Govadal wrote the fucking movie? He wrote a script. Really? That was handed over to director Tinto Brass, who did Salon Kitty. I'll beat fucking Buckley. Did you see that Best of Enemies documentary? I did. It's like, I'll beat the fag out of you or whatever. <laughs> Listen here, you fag. Like, right on TV. That's a historical quote, folks, all right? That's not me just saying that. <laughs> but as you say, I'm shocked. That I didn't know Gore Vidal wrote this fucking movie. The, the, the origi- That's awesome. The, the original. <laughs> all right. Um, and then came a very interesting player into uh, the story of a guy named Bob Guccione. You know that stereotypical 70s guy with the massive, with the slick back hair, the gold chains, Always wanting to expose his chest hair and wearing the like the, the shirt that's like half buttoned down. Chest Rockwell. That's Bob Guccione, who happened to run a very very um, prestigious publication called Penthouse. Guccione, really? I didn't. All right, I don't know. I know Larry so, Flint and Hugh Hefner, but I don't know the Penthouse. You guy. have a Roman period piece that was ta- that you had a script from Gore Vidal that was altered by Tinto Brass, and then Guccione comes in. And adds his post-production pornography in. And the cast of Caligula is one of the most impressive. Uh, first, Malcolm McDowell, of course. You have Helen Mirren. You have John Gielgud. You have a very ineb- inebriated Peter O'Toole. Do you see, have to see Helen Mirren naked? What? Do you see Helen Mirren naked? Do you in the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Everyone, right. everyone, everyone, everyone's, right. everyone's naked in that movie. Trust me. All right. I had to put pause on that one. Fucking. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm going to hell for this, aren't I? No, I love Helen Mirren. I think she's gorgeous. Um, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> but uh, it's it's funny, too, because the set designs for the movie were done by Danila Donati, who also did Porcel and also did uh, the sets for... Uh, uh, Fellini's interpretation of Satyricon. So you have one of the best set designers. You have something that was based on a very, very talented writer, and it turned into a total toga-filled smut fest, and I fucking love it. Really? Malcolm, okay, Malcolm McDowell. 
he is so, so enjoying it. I mean, there's one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite backstories about the film was Malcolm McDowell talking to Sir John Gielgud. You have John Gielgud, a knight of the British theater. Malcolm McDowell saying, but there's naked people everywhere. And John Gielgud reporting back, oh, it's totally good fun, Malcolm. <laughs> um, and for the most part, yeah, it does get fair amount of history right it, with, with different players, with uh, macro, uh, macro assisting uh, Caligula to murder Tiberius uh, to become uh, emperor of Rome and... And uh, you know his his incestuous relationship with his sister Drusilla and his eventual overthrow by his guards. Sounds like and, a WWF. And I have to say about this, Peter O'Toole. I don't smoke weed, but I want whatever weed he was smoking when he was filming that movie because he is so out of it. He doesn't even. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know he's in the movie. Peter O'Toole didn't he do Milo and Otis? I, I don't remember that movie. I think he was hammered on fucking... Uh, what the fuck did Peter O'Toole do? What, Peter O'Toole... Uh, well, is he, he Columbo? No, it's Peter Falk. Oh. No, he meant... Nah, man. He was in Lawrence <laughs> of Arabia. I, uh, you ever seen Lawrence of Arabia? Dude, dude, come on, man. Isn't that like a fucking... They have one of those up there. It's right off of 195. I don't know. Fucking... <laughs> no, you, gotta, you gotta see Lawrence of Arabia. It's amazing. That's a classic. Isn't that like a top five... Like the AMC, like the... Like uh, your critics guild and all that would probably be like, well, that's the top ten greatest of all time. Lawrence I, I, I don't like... Uh, I, I disagree with a lot of like critics lists. Why, why is it important to be a critic though? I mean like... Why? Well, it's offering your voice on something. Maybe you're... you're you, I mean, for me, it's... It's for for me for me half of its analysis, half of its passion, and half of its you know immense self-loathing. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's you know sitting down with a film and like analyzing it and like looking at it and trying to trying to look at what's beneath the surface. You know, okay, uh, it's it's not just seeing an, an image; it's seeing what that image represents. For me personally, um, what's your best critique of Troll Two? Troll Two. It's a very complex film. Okay, you're going to ask me about Troll 2. Okay. Um, first off, I have to say this. Claudio Fragasso. That's a director. Yeah, Claudio Fragasso. I don't think he speaks English. I will give him all the credit in the world. Because to this day, he will tell people I made a good movie. <laughs> he will tell people it's a good movie. And you know what? I will say this about... If you look at some of his scripted movies... You know, The Other Hell, um, Hell of the Living Dead, Rats, some of the stuff he did with Bruno Matai, like even some of the batshits, uh, his batshit contributions to Zombie 3, you know. he's He is a decent, he writes, he knows how to write a decent, you know, you know B-grade horror film. You know, the stuff he did with Bruno Matai was really good. Leaf, don't jump on that table, I swear to God. He, these nachos, Jerome, I'm telling you. That's all this is all about right now. But here's all right. But but anyways, Troll Two, yeah, is too good to be ignored. I absolutely love Troll Two, and I'm not afraid to admit it either. It's it makes no sense. It's full of plot holes. Um, you have this is it's what happens when you have <laughs> a cast with no experience whatsoever. Most of those people had never acted before in their life, and it shows. And that's half the fun, because there's varying levels of bad. There's 
oh my god, that was the worst thing I've ever seen, and oh my god, I can't believe I just watched that. I need to see this again. It's the same reason why I own copies of White Co- um, a White Fire and uh, Jim Cotta. I don't even know what that is. White Fire? White Fire? Yeah. Uh, oh, you you have to see White Fire. It t- it was a it was a it was a co-production between four countries. It took four countries to make a movie that bad. Four countries. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not like America, Canada, Mexico. It's got to be something complicated like Pakistan. It's, and fucking- it's I believe it's Turkey, France, <laughs> Spain, and one other country, but I can't remember offhand. When nobody speaks the same language whatsoever, other than English, maybe a little kraut here and there. <laughs> fucking, you know, mm-hmm. just to make things more complicated in general. Don't forget, you got your Zima down there. I haven't had Zima in fucking since I was like fourteen years old. I didn't actually have it until recently. Really? You're all about it. That was your first time, and now you're all into Zima. No, I like it. You know, it's it's a it's a good summer drink. It's something to sell. You know, it's something to enjoy on your porch. Oh yeah, well I got a porch. We'll we'll enjoy one later. For oh sure. yeah, absolutely, absolutely for sure. Yeah, back to uh, I remember, remember earlier you brought up that there was uh, the comparison to Campbell Holocaust and Troll Two. Um, Campbell Holocaust is actually a film I hold in very very high regard, um, because it broke down a lot of doors and set and set a lot of standards. You know, so it's a film that introduced the found footage uh, found footage uh, formula. You know, because you know, because you know, you have the sixty millimeter fil- footage that was shot in the jungle, coinciding with the narrative that 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 flows with it. But also, it has, there's this really the, the highlight of the film for me is a segment where, you know, it's after they found the footage from the filmmakers and they're back in New York reviewing it, and it's a, and they're they're about to watch their footage, and they are watching uh, one of the other films directed by Alan Yates called The Last Road to Hell, and. In the movie, it's actually comprised of stock footage of actual executions, and I might be wrong on this, but I believe they're from another documentary that's definitely worth seeing about uh, General Idi Amin uh, during his reign in Uganda, and when the footage ends, one of the studio executives who's showing the footage is saying, oh, well, it's fake, that he just hired a bunch of soldiers to go and do this. So it kind of like borders out lines between journalism being sensational for uh, ratings and being objective. And early in the film, it's they, they talk about you know Alan Yates, the missing filmmaker, as you know someone who's made uh, documentaries about Vietnam. And considering uh, Cable Holocaust takes place like literally, I think it's, I think it was like 1980, so this is like five years after the war the war in Vietnam ended. Well, when was Cable Holocaust made? Uh, 1980, I believe. Okay, okay. Um, so it really like, it's kind of like blurring that line between uh, the fi- the, fi- the fictionalized part of the film and reality. Um, and I and I mean, Rogério Diodato made his actors uh, sign the waiver that they wouldn't pu- uh, appear in public for a full year afterwards, and he was actually brought into court to prove that they didn't die. Really, that's how believable it was. Um, but there's shocking stuff in that, like with the animals, bro. You know what, and I'm going to say this right now, like, there is no way I could condone the animal cruelty. I mean, yeah, it does add... He kills a monkey in it, and, like, a... a turtle. A turtle, and there's, like, a muskrat or something, too. Yeah, there's uh, no way to condone the the animal cruelty in the film. It does add to the realism, but that's not taking it... That's not justifying it in any way. That's... That's, you know, it's, it's... 
it's it's enough to give any anyone who loves animals nightmares, and it's it's always gonna. I think that it's always gonna overshadow the film itself. You know, people are gonna mention have seen Cable Holocaust, and nine times of I've t- if you say it to a lot of people, first thing they say is like, oh yeah, isn't that the one where you know the animals get killed? Yeah, the animals getting killed. Like, there's there's multiple. Like, there's a scene of like people being impaled. There's a, a horrific scene of like a woman's uh, genitals being like just bludgeoned, mm-hmm. like on on. Oh on yeah, the beach. yeah. I forgot like, about that part. But the there's three animal deaths that are killed. You know, like right on camera that fucking strike you probably more than anything else. And there's remarkable gore, mind you, too. Like there actually is some like pretty fucking mm-hmm. cool gore in that movie. Um, but when you talk about f- like found footage films, I mean, what happened between fucking Campbell Holocaust and Blair Witch Project? The thing with Blair Witch, <clears throat> uh, I was just talking about this when because I remember when the uh, the sequel came out. I still haven't gotten around to seeing it. Blair Witch came out at exactly the right time because you remember the early nineties and it was all fifty six k slow internet speed. Like Blair Witch had hype behind it. I mean, I remember, like, there was nowhere you go. People were talking about this movie, and people were even debating. It's like, oh, well, maybe this footage is real. The problem is um, a lot of films have been trying to recreate that, and it's simply the hype that movie got, the timing the timing of the release, you know, it, it was just, like, a combination of a lot of stuff. And unfortunately, we've gotten a lot of lackluster found footage flicks that you know, don't deliver. There's a couple one. There's a couple I've seen that are good, like um, Ty West, who's one of my new favorite directors. Uh, he did a really good one called The Sacrament, which is uh, it's set up like a Vice documentary going to investigate a cult that is very, very similar to uh, Jonestown. Um, and that one I really liked a lot because you know I've always had I've personally have always had a really uh, deep fascination with Jim Jones, you know. Um, and the whole Jonestown, the, the whole Jonestown cult, because you know Jim Jones, you know he was he was a, up until like his fall from grace when he had to flee uh, the United States. You know he was he was a huge fixture in in the Bay Area civil rights movement. He was like very very highly highly respected. And so it's 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 weird, you know, nine hundred people followed this guy to Guyana. It's fascinating. Uh, the FBI made available the tapes from mm-hmm. Guyana, and. Um you could download them or even like yeah some of the dialogue in the sacrament is very very close to what jim jones said um and as a matter of fact there's only there is one other movie about jonestown um which is utterly ridiculous uh it's it's worth a watch to see for to see as far as it's a ridiculous factor it's called guyana call to the damned by uh renee cardona jr and it, it the stupidest thing about it is they changed the names right so instead of Jim Jones, he's named James Johnson, and they go to Johnson Town. <laughs> Were they coaching, co- coaching the Cowboys or something? <laughs> they, they might as well. How about them Jonestown? How about them Jonestown right there? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just it's 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 a ridiculous film, but you know, even like but Ray Cardona Jr., you know, he was very very sensational. Fucking Joey DeMaio in it. <laughs> that would be that would that would, that would be interesting. Thank you for um, the Kool Aid, Reverend Jim. Yeah. Um, but I think I think you know with Blair Witch and Campbell Holocaust, they're both films at, that arrived exactly at the right moment. And I think Campbell Holocaust did a very good job at like kind of blurring the lines between civilization and savagery. 
Because um, when you look at the other like big uh, cannibal movies from the time period, like uh, like Eaten Alive or Cannibal Ferox or uh, Devil Hunter or um, uh, you know Mountain of Cannibal God, there's there's kind of like they're either over overtly exploitive or they're just they're just you know they're exploitation films. But Cannibal Holocaust had like a deep social satire behind it and. Uh, Unfortunately, like, it's like I said earlier, it gets overshadowed because of uh, so some of the graphic nature. So, what went wrong with the Green Inferno in your eyes? Well, okay, the Green Inferno. Guess I'll guess I'll address this first. I have to say I have to get something off my chest. Eli Roth would not know social satire if it came up and bit him in the dick. I don't like his films at all. I, you know, he seems like someone I could sit down and have beers with and discuss Italian horror cinema because the guy's, you know, very passionate. But, you know, with the Green Inferno, like, it was just, it was seventh grade locker room humor set to a a cannibal movie. When I first saw the, the trailer... My first thought was, oh, great, the Asylum's remaking Campbell Ferox. <laughs> when I saw the movie, my first thought was, the makers of Entourage remade <laughs> Campbell Ferox. Maki Mac. Like, the scene that, that just really was like, what made me like, just lose it was the pot scene. I know, that was kind of funny. I was like, you have got to be joking me. I've seen... I, I like that charm, though. Come on, give me a little ridiculousness. You know, it's... I wouldn't hate it so much too if they didn't rip off the ending from Cannibal Ferox. Like there wasn't like there wasn't much originality, and where there was, it was just so dumb and lowbrow that I couldn't even enjoy it at that level. And um, the whole thing of you know, I remember, I think I read somewhere where Roth said, "Oh, it's I'm I'm doing satire about Facebook about." Facebook activism and you know social hashtag activism or some or words to that effect and I'm thinking to myself it's like you're 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 saying you're addressing this but these are people that are actually going and not being armchair activists so the, you kind of missed the ball on that one yeah I know what you mean on that that was kind of a fucking and and because it's really just about like an exploitation of of like the whole SJW fucking thing yeah, like and, it's appeasing the need of that you know. Yeah, and I just I just could, didn't like it. You know, about twenty minutes in, I was like, "This is stupid." By the time it was like three quarters of the way through, I was just like, "Yeah, this movie sucks." You go to the theater to see it? No, I actually, I actually, I think I got, I believe I got it on Netflix. There's no, there's no way I would, uh, <laughs> I would not pay to see one of his movies. The, the only movie I, I paid of his to see was Hostel, and I still want my ten dollars back. Really, you didn't like that one? No, nah, no, nah, I, I, I couldn't get into it. Yeah. Why? Because it's just like. Gratuitous. There's a difference between gratuitous. I mean, because you're talking about you praising Caligula, but then you got fucking ultra-violent films like fucking, you know, like a hostel or something like that. Where's the line draw for you? Where's the line draw for me? Caligula is one it The thing with Caligula was, where else are you going to see hardcore pornography alongside actors such as John John Gielgud? 
It's a it's like one it's like a once in a lifetime spectacle. Where else are you going to see Malcolm McDowell shove his dip his dip his fist in lard and shove it up some guy's ass? <laughs> you know, Caligula like yeah, it was a blunder. It was it was it was like a comedy of errors, but the scale, the scope of that film is unbelievable. You know, huge you have these huge huge elaborate sets. You have these these great costumes and then you have fisting. It's 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 kind of like the it's as far as like exploitation cinema goes, it's quite easily the high watermark, and it gave us so many um, ridiculous Caligula sequels. My favorite, uh, I I have a, I own one of them, uh, Caligula Two, uh, which is actually a called the Emperor. Uh, it's a it's a knockoff by Joe D'Amato, and it's so funny and ridiculous. Uh, it's 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 nonsensical, like. Uh, in Caligula, there's a character named Longinus. In Longinus, yeah, his assistant played by John Steiner. In uh, Caligula too, there's actually uh, a member of his harem named Clitzia. Clitzia. And I, as soon as I heard that, you know, I, I, I was like, oh, jeez. I just, it's just these are know, dick and fat jokes, though. Come on, man. It's 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 dumb Joe D'Amato exploitation, and plus Laura Gemser's in it. I don't know any of these guys. Uh, Laura Gemser, she, uh, she, she. Here's a fun fact of trivia. Here's uh, some fun trivia. <clears throat> she designed the costumes for Troll Two, oh. um, and she's also made her. Uh, she's she, she played Emmanuel in a series of. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, erotic erotic films uh, that all feature a, a character named Emmanuel, who she played time and time again. The other thing, but going back to you know the difference between something like Caligula and something like The Green Inferno. The Green Inferno tries to take itself seriously and nothing works. Like, it's not like... If it was self-aware about its jokes, like, if it knew it was, you know, some laughable bro-dude cannibal knockoff, I'd still hate it, but I'd give it a pass. But because, you know, Roth is like, oh, I'm making a statement. It's like, dude, no, you're not. I'm just making a statement that I want to see fucking SJWs get killed and fucking people that vote for Trump will probably jerk off to this later. Fucking, oh, God. You know? Yeah, that's a, that's a subject we don't need to address. I always address fucking Trump on this one because it's, it's in the edge, Rom. You can't ignore it. No, no, I, I agree. Like, um, I can't remember the last time that an administration has pissed me off so much. Really? Um, you grew up in California. I did. I, I did grow up in SoCal, yeah. All right, let me just say this real quick. There will be blood... Is my favorite movie about California ever? Mm-hmm. Probably one of my top favorite films ever too. And it's kind of it's important to point that out because I think there's a lot of films nowadays that neglect to tell the mid central California fucking story. Yeah, you get a lot of fucking L.A. You got San Francisco, San Diego, Border Wars, all that shit like that, right? But fucking there will be blood is one of the few movies that really addresses something like Bakersfield or some shit or Modesto, Mm -hmm. you know, like that whole area. That being said, we're out here nowadays on the East Coast. Do you find that the New England films are somewhat, like they they say this is Hollywood East or some shit, but there's been some pretty interesting films lately that are based out of here. Um, The Conjuring comes to mind. The Witch, even though it was fucking filmed up in Canada, that's based off of New England folklore (laughs) and such like that. Black Mass is another one, kind of true crime sort of thing. 
do you feel like there's like not so much a resurgence, but more like a, a movement of fucking East Coast filmmaking lately? I, I I think I think there definitely is. I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, independent filmmakers out in this area who are doing well. Um, I think that uh, I think you know Southie is definitely a popular neighborhood now. It's it's a place where a lot of uh, people want to flock to. Um, going back, to, it's funny about Black Mass. I remember you posted on Facebook when you saw it. Well, I liked Black Mass. I read the book as soon as it came out. I remember seeing John Connolly and Dateline. Like, I followed the story for years. Now, I'm not going to praise it for being a technically fucking sound fucking film by any means. I like Johnny Depp. I thought he was evil. And I thought that's why I liked about it, Jerome, is that for once, it was a movie about a gangster that showed the sociopathic fucking side of things. I, my... I I I I did finally watch Black Mass and it felt like unless you knew a decent amount of the backstory, right, a lot of stuff would be lost on you. I completely agree. I like completely that, agree. that that's what it struck me and it's like it was, it's trying to cram a lot into a very short time frame. So there's only so much you can do. There's a great doc on Netflix called The People versus White oh, People. Yes, I've seen it a number of times. And that's like the best primer and in the end you'll kind of understand that the dimension of that film. Because in the end, the, that whole film is crux pretty much on the relationship between Connolly and um, and Whitey Bulger, but also the internal affair angle with John Morris and Connolly and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Kevin Bacon shows up. But there's been all sorts of movies made out. Fuck, I mean, you got Boston films. Well, let's exclude this because you, you're more of a horror guy when it comes to critique. What would you, um, you think of The Conjuring? <sighs> I don't think I've seen The Conjuring. Oh, Jerome, we gotta watch The Conjuring then. It's worth your time. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think you'd like it. Okay, let's change gears then. The Witch. How's the Witch rake, Witch Rake for you? Fucking um, just in general. <laughs> okay. Uh, when it came to seeing The Witch in the theater, um, it's funny because The Witch is one of the most polarizing reactions I've seen from audiences in a while. Um I've I know people who praised it and I know people who absolutely hate it. It it, it was the last film I actually went and went out and saw a theater and I don't think I can honestly say I cannot remember the last time I was ex- literally excited halfway through a movie after seeing the theater. Um the one shot the scene where they're leaving the town and the camera pans back, and you see the unknown. Yes. And you see them praying in front of the forest, and the camera just goes into the forest. Yes. It's like that's, and I was like, you know what? That's what horror is. Horror is the unknown. Yes. It's what you don't see. It's like, and yes. I remember, uh, I remember, like Larissa was sitting next to me, and I just nudged her, and I said, I said, yeah, this is this is important. Um, what, and it reminded me of a lot of other films that I hold in very, very high regard, such as uh, I love the fact that the witch was depicted as an old lady in one moment and as a temptress in the other. It made me think of Hoxon Witchcraft Through the Ages by Christensen, where they showed the witch as like this old crone who lives by herself. And then there's another scene where like there's a monk in the monastery looking at a young woman and she's like, oh, she's a te- she's a vessel of Satan and she's tempting me. Um, I thought it did a good job of capturing like the sexual repression in the family like that, like, and um, that was in films such as uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, 
one of the, one of the things I, I um, love too, the natural lighting. That's the yes. best natural lighting I've seen since since uh, Barry Lyndon. Um, I got to see that by the way. I'm actually I haven't seen Barry Lyndon yet. I know it's a Kubrick, but I'm gonna buy that on fucking Blu-ray. Blind purchase. I'm just, I know it's not even blind. Everybody says that's one of the greatest films of all time. The other thing about the witch that stuck with me was it, it there's three things that encompassed for me. One was the death of patriarchy. It was the rise, the self-destruction of the family, the rise of the independent woman, and also uh, that that kind of that kind of commentary on humanity versus nature. Because and there's that one scene you know, you see throughout the film, the father's constantly cutting wood. He's cutting and cutting wood, and he has and like eventually he has this huge stockpile. It's everything he's he's built like that. That's like his family. That's his legacy. It's like it's like towering, and it's what kills him. Right. Black Philip knocks him in there, and it destroys him. And not to mention too, the reliance on the crop ultimately is what mm-hmm. suggests ultimately like their doom, and like their peril is fucking being presented. To the fact that they can't fucking grow fucking corn at this place that they're at, and there's nothing to kill in the woods. What I like though about it, honestly is there's no bullshit. Like, within 10 minutes, they're like, oh, no, no, there's a witch. There's a witch. She's here. Here she is. You know, like, there's no fucking sort of, like, mysterious, like, reveal sort of or whatever. It's very clear, but it speaks time like what you were saying, too. There's a duality to the nature of the crone, mm-hmm. where it's fucking, like, you know, like an old bag fucking laying around fucking in infant fucking entrails fucking, you know, rubbing herself. And then you got this fucking temptress bitch fucking showing up and fucking taking a kid into a shack, you know, fucking. There is broad. one review I read where they were complaining about when Black Phillip reveals himself, and they're like, "Oh, well, he looks like Captain Jack Sparrow," and uh, there was a there's an interview done with Eggers where he describes he goes, "No, I model him after Charles the first because you know when you think of Satan, Satan is you know." He's the suave gentleman. He's the... Who the fuck's Charles I? Uh, King of England. All right. They named the river after him or something? Yeah. That, 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 when they talk about right. Charles River, yeah, that's... I, right. I, I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I don't own my Massachusetts history that well. I'm, I'm an immigrant. Uh, <laughs> that's, I, I don't know it either, fucking, but I just know we named shit after fucking royalty. What year was he there, you know? Um, uh, can't, can't say offhand. But, um... Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of themes. I I honestly don't think Eggers planned out uh, what his film would do. I think he he set out to tell a story, and a lot more happened. And that's that's one of the cool things about film is like, it's always open to interpretation. You know, we we I mean, someone can always. It's like I said earlier. You know, you if you ask someone like six different people, you'll get six different opinions. <clears throat> yeah, that's important to have though. It is. Because there isn't a right or wrong answer. And I think fucking right now in this country particularly, you talk about this administration, there's a lot of motherfuckers out there like super fucking calcified ideals and and just fucking, you know, really fucking intent on what's right and wrong and how to do things and shit like that. The thing that uh, I will say about this administration is I've never seen one that was blindsided by the importance of of uh, other events um when uh, Spi- Mr. Press Secretary Spicer referred to concentration camps as holocaust centers <laughs> you know 
When you mean blindsided by events, you mean like they just they can't express the fucking. It's it's, it's almost like they're they're idiots. Yeah, I mean we're being led. Well, like the inauguration photo, like the first day they're there, they're like, no, there's there's never been more people that have like fucking been on the quam and showing it. But it somehow becomes like the fucking moon landing photo. It's like we're comparing shit, looking at it, being like, dude, Obama's, you know, it, it's just stupid, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a dark time. Why do you think that, like, people like that kind of fear media and critique and even, like, you know, I mean, it's not like you're, like, a fucking. Washington like White House journalist but you're a journalist still you're writing you're actively writing how many how often you write a day probably you've, you uh, know I, I try to I'm, I'm at my writing desk at least six uh, six days out of the week so there you go fucking like you're really putting it's a craft to write why are they so threatened by fucking writers it, it's it's like uh, I, I guess the best knowledge I can use is one of the first uh the things I learned about writing film criticism is every film has flaws. Almost every film has a plot hole. And if there's someone out there constantly seeing every plot hole, seeing every inconsistency, it it lessens what they're telling us. You know, Spicer coming out saying, we're going to hold the press accountable. No, it doesn't work like that. We have freedom of the press. You know, I... You know, I I have the right to write about what what I to write about my uh, b- belief on, in a film when I'm writing an essay. You know, the press has a right to critique the establishment to to critique to critique the establishment and say this isn't right or or say this this is wrong. You know, there is no holding the press accountable. We have freedom of the press. That's censorship. And it's fucking bullshit. That's uh that's my two cents on it. Isn't it interesting though, by how many heavy metal heavy metal motherfuckers in your life who are just naturally inclined to fucking be there and fucking bend the rules of censorship? It's almost like that parental advisory sticker fucking attracts you to it. You know that whole mindset. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you know that being like into horror movies and, and heavy metal and all this stuff. It's almost like this sort of like frontline position on fucking anti-censorship and, and more or less freedom of speech because you, you're having the ability to fucking tell things as they really are, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just fucked up. And, like, it, it, I don't know. It's just weird to me that fucking everybody said, like, you know, this whole healthcare shit was fucking attacking the Constitution when it really isn't at all whatsoever. However, fucking, you know, we're actively persecuting the First Amendment right now by fucking censoring fucking information that's potentially given to us and shit like that, you know? It's just fucked up. Very interesting time. It is. Um, <laughs> if you ask me, I think it's only going to get worse. Yeah? You're not optimistic? I haven't had anybody optimistic on here, Jerome. Honestly, since he got elected, like I've asked this question numerous times over. Nobody's fucking optimistic about this shit right there, now. There, there is no optimism. No. Like Obama, there was optimism. There's no fucking optimism under Trump. Even it, the Trump supporters aren't optimistic. You know, um, there's a... Uh, well, there's a really great uh, documentary about the Holocaust. One of my favorite favorite documentary films of all time called Night and Fog. The conclusion of the film posed the question, who is responsible? And it goes down the line of guards, capos, officers, soldiers, 
and everyone says not I and my stance is if you voted for this regime to be in power you're responsible you know we our our, our society is a demo- at the end of the day our society is a democracy if you voted for them you're responsible and uh, just hope there's uh, someone left to speak up when they come knocking on the door what for the people who voted for them mm-hmm. that's like the napalm deaf shirt the Nazi punks fuck off, and the when the fourth right comes, you guys will be the first to leave, first to be gone. Yeah, it's it's like it's like that old quotation. Um, I don't know, <clears throat> don't know the words exactly. It's like when they came for the trade unionists, I was not a trade unionist, so I didn't say I, I said nothing. When they came for the Jews, I was said, said, said I was not a Jew, so I said nothing. When they came for the social democrats, I was not a social democrat, so they said nothing. So I said nothing. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak up. Damn straight. And that's why we have critics. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's more or less, right? More or less, yeah. So where is everybody going to go uh, read your critiques of film, of well, uh, society, of everything in between? <laughs> well, um. <clears throat> Uh, it's a it's a good it's a good thing to follow the uh, Diabolique uh, Facebook page, because you, I mean, uh, top genre writers. I mean, I'm not talking myself. I mean, when you pick up a uh, blue, I mean, when you pick up your your Blu-ray from the Criterion Collection, you normally open it up and you have essays that are included with the Blu-ray. You have uh, social commentary. A lot of people who write these are involved with the magazine. And it's a really wide, we're a, you know we're a wide range and of a uh, of people. We all have very eclectic tastes. Cover all sorts of different films. I mean, we have a new issue coming out in August. If you love film, by all means, uh, pick it up. <clears throat> and uh, we cover just about everything. Everything from uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky to Elio Petri. Every uh, uh, just about every, every different facet of uh, film we we cover in some in some way, and we're dedicated to. Covering, <clears throat> covering the the very best. How big is this fucking publication? Are you talking like a glossy mag or some shit? Yeah, we have there. There is the, mag, the there is the glossy magazine that is uh come the next one's due out in August, and uh, then the rest of us we all we all and on the Facebook page you're always going to see our web essays. Um, I just I just did one. Uh, I just uh, I did one not too long ago that came up. Uh, that I think I mentioned at the, uh, the beginning of the podcast. The one on uh. Black Sun, the Nanking Massacre. But I've also done one on Men Behind the Sun. I've also done one on Poor Seal. And the next one I'm doing is on uh, Hoxon, Witchcraft Through the Ages. I'm going to have so many hashtags to fill for this one. You're going to help me fill these out. <laughs> and it's Diablo- I, mean, I, I've got, I, I definitely want to hear like all the edits because uh, I have a bad stuttering problem. Nah, you're golden. You're golden. The thing is, is that you ain't stuttering when you talk. You know, when you're writing, you, it's Jerome. That's your pure consciousness right there. You know, yeah. more or less. You know, but you know, ultimately, fucking, it's not easy to show up here and just fucking rattle off how you think. Fucking, you know, not everybody can do it. But you're strong enough. You're a man coming out the Spencer, <laughs> by the pond, the oceanfront property, shoot the shit, drinking squatch. Fucking, is Diabolik the only one we can follow you at nowadays? Uh, I also write, still write film reviews for Scream. Uh, Screen Horror Magazine. They're based out of the UK. I write for. I do uh, film reviews for their website. Um, that's not current, which is a pop culture website that I currently also write for, and I have a bi-weekly uh, column over uh, for Cinema Knife Fight called Eight and a Half Doors of Death. Uh, those articles go up every every uh, every two weeks, uh, where I cover uh, 
European horde that generally a primarily a premier uh, a European uh, grindhouse and horror. Yeah, that's all new to me. Well, I'm gonna look forward. To, <laughs> like I know nothing about it, man. But I just found one of Herzog, and I'm fascinated by it. Like, <laughs> and, you know, like that's the beautiful thing though about what you're doing is that you you're so fucking focused on fucking very specific. I don't like saying niche, <laughs> but they're very deep, integral genres within the cinematographic world that fucking don't get coverage. It's got you know, like fucking nobody talks about fucking horror movies as passionately as horror movie fans. You know what I mean? <laughs> fucking the Oscars ain't gonna fucking light up fucking. You know, fucking 50 words about fucking, you know, Cannibal Holocaust anytime soon or anything like that, you know? Very true. I mean, uh, however, I will say this. Uh, when uh, Peter O'Toole got his honorary Oscar, Oscar, they did show footage from Caligula in the video package. Really? I, I came across it online one day, and they were... Meryl Streep was up there talking about Peter O'Toole and they're about to give him his honorary Oscar, and they're showing scenes from, like, Goodbye Mr. Chips and Lawrence of Arabia, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, there, there's him and... As Tiberius stoned off his ass with a shoddy black wig. <laughs> shoddy black wig. Really? He had, like, was he a shaved head? Or was that, like, part of the role? Because he was, like, a fucking Roman. Well, the character, the character Tiberius, he wears a black wig sometimes and makes these, like, drunken faces, like, while while he's in the middle of filming. He even breaks the fourth wall at some points. Really? Mm-hmm. It's like our president. Oh, yeah. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's... I'm hoping um, that when these this, this this whole term's over, I hope people. I hope a lot of people are like, I hate saying woke, but just come to come to just like come to realization. It's like it's like yeah, you know, being a dick doesn't pay off. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it's just. Uh, there's a lot going on with the administration that that's that it, it, it's hard to keep up. Um, I do know that, like you know, when the day of the inauguration, a lot of pages went off the White House uh, website. Um, I heard rumors that the civil rights one went down. That was like, that was painful, man. You know, yeah, it's kind of a step backwards. That's what they say the uh, LGBT means. Let's go back in time. That's what that's what this administration says. Yeah, and the, the, the thing is, it's not the, it's, Ed Mackey said that. By the way, that's an Ed Mackey joke. Santa Ed Mackey said that. The, the thing about this, the, the 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 really horrible thing about this administration is is the what it's bringing out from through the woodworks in America. Yeah, you know, it's like um, another film recommendation. There's a great uh, documentary called Blood in the Face that Michael Moore was a part of. He conducts some of the uh, interviews. About uh, some of the, some of the different white power groups in this country, and you know, you get the feeling, okay, these guys are just isolationists. There's like, they're a minority. They're not a threat. But uh, we've seen it like in the last few months. They're uh, they they might be a minority, but you know, they're, they're a real presence. What's one political movie? That everybody should watch. And I'm not just saying Americans. I'm talking the whole world. What's one political movie that everybody should watch? Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. What's that, Will Smith? It's Jimmy Stewart. I don't I don't know, like uh, Miracle on 34th Street. That's it. Oh. He's like a Tom Hanks of the 40s, right? Oh, no. Jimmy Stewart's, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart's a... A million times better than Tom Hanks ever will be. 
Um, I haven't seen Castaway, by the way, either. Yeah, I saw it once. It was, it was, it was, it was a one done for me. I watched it once, and that was enough. But, uh, but no, um, I think, uh, you know, I, I take that back. If there's one political movie everyone should see at least once in their lifetime for the concluding speech, it's uh, The Great Dictator with Charlie Chaplin. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, Fundamental. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a great line. Uh, more than more than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness. And that that if that doesn't sum up what uh what what's going on right now, I I honestly can't think of what does. Well, it's beautiful, Jerome. You put a nice bow on top of this episode. Appreciate you taking the time to come out here to absolutely magical, mysterious land of fucking <laughs> somewhat Western Mass, more like a fucking Central Mass sort of thing. I know you live out in Austin, and uh, don't get you know to venture out here too much, but we're happy to have you. We're going to tie one on. Absolutely, fucking have a couple, a uh, couple more beers. Got a nice Trappist quad. Smoke some of your cigarettes. Absolutely, I did bring plenty. <laughs> I'm going to show you Portlandia later, too. I'm going to show you some Portlandia episodes you're going to crack up about. But, um, yeah, man. Appreciate you coming out here. Oh, dude, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. We look forward to reading your next review. Thank you. And as always, we'll, uh, I'm going to plug everything up here. Be sure to follow him. And uh, cheers. And thank you for being here tonight, my friend. Cheers. <laughs>